So I am going to be closing the series today on Hall of Faith. And we are going to be coming from Hebrews 11. I'm going to ask you to start turning there now um, because I know the time is running and, and uh, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna need to move forward. Um, Hebrews 11, uh, but in the meantime, uh, let me go through the titles. What is faith? That was the first one. Uh, that was the first. That was the first sermon that was given. Uh, we started to define uh, what faith was, and we just came from Hebrews 11:1. 1, that was the reality and the proof. Reality, faith itself is reality and and proof. And then when it comes to your faith, don't simply have faith. Live it. Don't simply have it. Live it. Then the next, less, uh, the next sermon was, uh, was say less. Say less. Um, uh, the the um, expression of yesterday was, you ain't said nothing but a word. But now this expression is say less. And the question was, how can we understand what God is doing? Then we looked in his word and then we found out that the answer was by faith in his word. And I tried to leave you with this thought that, you know, God doesn't explain everything to us. So tell God, say less when God says less. Then the next sermon uh, was titled, Leaving a Legacy. And the question that we asked was, how can you leave a legacy with your faith? How can you do that? And there were three ways we could do it. Uh, sacrifice by faith, live approved by faith, finish by faith. And the question we asked was, uh, or left with was, what will you say at your funeral? Um, you all will say something, believe it or not. What will you say at your funeral? Then we moved on to uh, the next, the next uh, uh, installment of this series, Must Be Nice. And the question uh, was, why may God help you avoid the unavoidable? Why may he do that? Because you walk closely with him. And then the last time was when faith requires fear. And the question that was asked was, how can godly fear be an example of faith? You know, faith and fear are usually opposites. How, how, how can godly fear be an example of faith? And we gave you one instance, which is to build your ark before it rains. And then we tried to leave with this thought that, remember, that godly faith requires godly fear. And yes, godly fear looks ridiculous until it rains. So again, if you want to catch up with any of those sermons, you can go on our website, sjbcla.org, um, go to the sermons page, or you can find us on um, you know, our, our several uh, streaming platforms. We're now on Pandora, for those of us that use Pandora, Spotify, iHeart, Apple um, Podcasts, all of those. So you can find us there. 
So with that said, we are now moving forward with the last installment. And we are going to be coming from Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Surprise, surprise. Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And then once you are there, um, verses 8 through 12. You're going to want to keep your Bibles open because we're going to be reading a couple of passages. Uh, but for now, what we're going to do is read um, Hebrews 8 through 12. And in the interest of time, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and read this. Hebrews 11, 8 through 12 out of the Christian Standard Bible. Um, it reads as follows. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Verse 12, therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. I would like to call, come from the following subject, your golden years. Your golden years, you may be seated. Now, this sermon makes me a little nervous because one of the things I've promised to God is that I don't ever want to preach something that I don't do. You know, I don't want to be one that talks, but don't walk the talk. Um, I try not to preach too much about, you know, things that I haven't, you know, um, experienced. But when you come to this passage, uh, obviously, um, I have not experienced uh, these uh, golden years. Um, now, what I do know about golden years is, you know, as one of the uh, uh, relatively young people in, the, in, in uh, uh, listening is that, you know, young people have dreams of the golden years. You know, we, we think if we, you know, work hard and save up money, make the right investments, then in those golden years, which society has defined as around age 65 and up, um, in those years, assuming you have done the necessary work up front, when 
that that time comes, especially for retirement, you can kick back, put your feet up. It's all just cruises and plane trips, vacations, and just hanging out from here on out. At least that is the perception that I get from society. Uh, and, and, and so if we're doing these things, we're, we're being faithful in what we're doing, we will uh, experience uh, the blessings later. Now what's interesting is that this idea of, of you know, being faithful and, and making sure you're doing things as a young person is that you put the work in now so that when you get to your golden years, you relax. Um, it may sound kind of wrong, but you, know, you just kind of ride out the rest of life. And that actually is not a good picture. Because what it does with this concept of faithfulness is that it teaches young people that we're supposed to be faithful and work hard now. But it never teaches us what faithfulness looks like when you're older. And so what does faithfulness look like in golden years? And in fact, that's, that's the question we'll talk, to, uh, talk about today. How can you be an example of faith in your golden years? And again, I, I, I must repeat, I do not speak from personal experience. I don't know what it's like. However, I speak from the word of God. And God has been around quite a long time. So how can we be an example of faith in our golden years? In fact, let's look at some folks that were in their golden years for quite some time. Uh, the, book, the author of Hebrews sees Abraham and, and Sarah as great examples of folks in their golden years uh, exhibiting their faith. And the first point out of two points that the, that the author is, is trying to make uh, of how we can be an example of faith in our golden years is to, first of all, is to give up comfort for promise. Give up comfort for promise. Where in the world are we coming with this? Verse 8 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And we'll read, in, we'll read this in a few, uh, uh, we'll read this in about a minute, but um, Abraham was 75 years old when he received this call to go out. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he said, as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, 
co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. See, the problem with this passage is that it goes against the concept of golden years. Abraham was in another country. Abraham had money. Abraham had his family. Abraham had uh, 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 things going on. Abraham is where people like me want to be in our golden years. So it's kind of mind-blowing that God calls him out of this comfort zone to go to a whole different country for a promise that he hasn't even fully revealed yet. Abraham was giving up uh, uh, his comfort uh, uh, for promise. Usually, uh, 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 the, the idea is that we, we uh, uh, work now so that we can get the comfort, not lose the comfort. I mean, y'all, y'all got to tell me. Maybe I'm way off, but uh, from what I hear, the, the goal is to be comfortable when you retire. The goal is to relax, as, as our generation says, to chill. When we get to our 60s and 70s and 80s, we're we're supposed to be riding it out. But here God is calling Abraham in the middle of his golden years to start a young man's mission. Why would God do such a thing? But see, here's another uh, uh, thing about this, is, is that not only did God call him out of his his, his, his comfort. But he called him to a promise that he would not fully see in his lifetime. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 7 says, The Lord said to Abram, this was before he became Abraham, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Keep in mind, Abram has no children. Verse four, so Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Uh, He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. Oh, he was rich, y'all. He was set. He, He had the dream. And they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, verse 6, Abraham, um, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. 
So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God called Abram out of his retirement package and said, take your pension and go live in a completely, not another city, not another state, a whole different country that's occupied by folks. And I'm going to give this land to your kids that you don't have yet. To your descendants that you don't have yet. You know, sometimes God calls you to sow so that others can reap. That's not always a comforting thought. But what does faithfulness look like? It looks like giving up the comfort for promise. Sometimes what faithfulness looks like is that even though I'm comfortable, even though I've done the things that I need to do in this life, even though I feel like I can just relax and just wait until God calls me home, God has you here for some reason. And it might be to set up people that you don't even know yet. It might be so that you set up your grandchildren for success. It might be so that you can set up your neighborhood for success. I don't know what God has called you to do. I have never been that age. I can't tell you from experience. But what I do know is that if you are on this earth, God has a reason why. And it is not just to just sit and chill and hopefully get heaven on earth. Give up comfort for promise. But also, verse 2, how can you be an example of faith in your golden years according to Bible, not according to James? Verse 2, give up constraints for possibilities. Now, what in the world am I meaning by give up constraints for possibilities? Hebrews 11, 11 through 12 starts talking about Sarah. And it says, by faith... Even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring. Even though she was past the age. Bible talking, not me. Since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Then verse 12, therefore from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead. I didn't write that. Came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. See, here's something interesting. There's a fun part to this and a not-so-fun part to this. Y'all want the fun part, right? See, 
The most obvious thing we can see is that you have limits, but God doesn't. Do you realize God knows your limitations? Do you realize that God knows how much you can do or take? So when he gives an assignment or when he decrees that something shall happen in your life, do you realize that God has already considered your limits before talking to you? You know, if God tells you, you know, I need you to, to walk around the block. I need you to go around the block and, and hand out flyers. Uh, and you, you can't say to God, well, Lord, I, I, I can't even walk. What, what is God going to say? <sighs> You're right. I forgot about that. God wants you to speak to somebody, and, and, but, but, but you say, Lord, but, but my memory's bad. I can, I can barely remember what happened a couple minutes ago. God's like, yeah, I, I forgot to. Is that how God is? If God has, the, if God has uh, it, uh, 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 given you something to do, he knows you have limits. Sarah had a physical limitation. She was, and the Bible kept reminding over and over, she was well past the age of childbearing. God said she is going to have a child. God did not forget. God did not misinterpret. God knew that even though Sarah was older, that God would work a miracle in her so that she would be able to conceive children. He's already considered your limits. Now, that's the fun part. Here's the not-so-fun part. Now, here's a, well, let, me, let me start this with a question. You know, the Bible talks about how uh, Sarah was, you know, Sarah's faith, right? It, it, in fact, let's go back a couple slides. It says, you know, she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Now, this kind of threw me off. Because we're talking about how faithful Sarah was. But wasn't Sarah the perfect example of a lack of faith? Okay, let's read, let's read. Let's read. Verse 9. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord has come in, in human form and he's, and he's brought some angels with him. Or, uh, uh, well, they're angels, but they look like men. Um, Talking to Abraham, this is actually right before he's going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 9, um, uh, the Lord's talking to Abram, or Abraham. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. Verse 10, the Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Again, this is the Bible saying it's not me. I do, you know. 
Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. The author's trying to make a point. Verse 12. So she, Sarah, laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old. These are her words. Will I have delight? Verse 13, but the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you. And in about a year, she will have a son. Verse, now now this is very interesting. This is very interesting. Verse 15. Sarah denied it. (laughs) I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he, the Lord, replied, no, you did laugh. And I, and I uh, this, this threw me off until the Lord revealed it to me. Sarah, I thought, was the perfect example of a lack of faith. She heard the Lord say this is what um, he's going to do through her. She laughed because it sounded ridiculous to her. But then here is the author of Hebrews saying that she, commending her for her faithfulness and what, you know, um, God said. So I was trying to, trying to tie this together. How, how did she laugh? And that's faithless. But then she's commended for being faithful. And then God showed me that, to read the rest of this passage and saw that Sarah had a back and forth with the Lord. So maybe what might have happened is that her initial reaction was faithless. But the Lord calling her out (laughs) might have been the turning point. The fact that she said it to herself and the Lord called her out and she denied it and the Lord called her out again might have done something to Sarah. In that moment, in that exchange, what might have happened is that Sarah realized that she is talking to more than a man. She realized that in in, in that instance, in that exchange, that, that, that she was in the presence of the living God. And what got, what got her thinking this way is that God had to call her out. Why am I saying this? Sometimes God has to call us out. Sometimes God has to open up our mind and say, what you're thinking is wrong. You said you're so limited because you got a wheelchair. Who do you think I am? You, oh, you got a breathing problem. Who do you think I am? Oh, you, 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 you can barely see. Who do you think created you? Who do you think gives sight to the blind, gives hearing to the deaf? Who do you think I am? 
I am the living God. When I say you can do something, I know you can do something. So, but the but 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 here's the thing: for you to do it, you gotta get out of your own way. Who are you to tell me? Saith the Lord. Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? The problem is not me. The problem is you. The reason why you're not moving forward is not because you need a cane to walk. It's because you don't believe me. The reason why you're having trouble witnessing to others is not because it's hard to walk long distances. It's because you don't believe that I am the source of your strength. Do you realize who you are talking to? I am the Lord God. Get out of your own way because your own constraints are preventing the possibilities. Your own mindset is blocking you from doing what I want you to do. No, it's not the arthritis. I know it sucks, but it's not the arthritis. No, it's not the the breathing issues. I know it's hard, but it's not that. It's your mindset that I can't work through you because you have these things. But do you know who created the world? Do you know who spoke and there was light? Who spoke and there was fish and animals and, and, and land and sea? Do you know who you're talking to? Get out of your own way. Get out of your own way. Because there's so much I can do through you. There's so much that you have left to offer. That is the reason why you are still here. And you will keep the devil happy when you tell yourself that you can't do it. Now that said, this all sounds nice. You know, to give up comfort for promise. It sounds wonderful to give up constraints for possibilities. But the problem is that we don't naturally do this. The problem is that, uh, from what I understand, when you uh, uh, get more experienced in life, you do get tired. Uh, Things do happen, and things do prevent you from doing uh, the things that you used to do. And I would say that if everything was done in your own power, it would be true. You can't do the things of former. You may not have the opportunities that you used to have. But see, everything changes with Christ. Do you realize Christ is all up in this story? Do you realize that, 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 that even though it doesn't say the name Jesus, uh, it, it does say that the Lord was there. And then if you uh, uh, know your uh, Trinitarian uh, uh, theology, you'll understand that, that the Son of God was actually there. So, so, so it's, what's interesting is that Christ was the one talking to Abraham. Christ was there confronting Sarah about her laughter. 
the, the pre-incarnate Christ was the one there. And, and why could Jesus, uh, as he would later be named, why could Jesus say these things? Because Jesus, uh, 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 some thousands of years uh, uh, later, Jesus would give up comfort for our promise. Jesus would be constrained for our possibilities. Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, was born through the Virgin Mary. And he lived for 33 years. And he lived this life perfect. He exemplified faithfulness. He showed that uh, faithfulness is not just reserved uh, for God to do, but it is possible for you and me to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus had a different mission. No, he did not save up until his retirement. No, he did not uh, uh, come out with a, a pension. But, but in fact, he, he left all his glory and he left all his comfort and, uh, for, for a promise that wasn't even for him. Why? Because Jesus went on the cross to die for your sins and my sins. He gave up his comfort so that we could have the promise of forgiveness the promise of a relationship with God, the promise of a new life. He did that on the cross. And, and not only did Jesus, uh, was he crucified on the cross, but he died and then he was buried. But on the third day, he rose again with all power in his hand. See, see he was supposed to stay dead, but, 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 but God I raised Jesus from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So death is a major constraint. Death was supposed to be the ultimate constraint. You think having babies when you're older is hard. Try living again. But Jesus did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And why am I saying all this? Because the same Spirit that was with Jesus the Christ is at work within us. The same Spirit still works in our golden years. The same miracle-working Spirit, the same third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, is with us, no matter what our age is. Y'all realize the Spirit, he, he don't age with us. Y'all know that, right? He, he, is, he, 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 he as strong as he ever been. Amen? And this Spirit of God, he will help us to give up our comfort for, our, for promise. And he will uh, exchange our constraints for possibilities. So, with, so let, me, let me end this. Look, retirement is not the end. Nor is it the beginning of the end. I know that's what popular culture says, at least to me. I don't know what it said to you. But retirement is not the end nor is it the beginning of the end. In fact, according to God, your golden years are ahead of you. 
Your, your golden years are ahead. They're coming. What is God, what, what does he want to do in your life? What does he want to do in your life? I can't answer that. But what does he want to do in your life? What has God given to you, specifically you, for you to do? One thing I've learned about God is he not just letting you just waste away for the next 10, 20, 30 years. That, that's, not, that's not the plan of God. God has a plan. He has a purpose for all of us. And this is good news to some of us who might have felt like we may have missed our calling, that we may have missed our purpose. Well, guess what? God is still in the purpose-giving business. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him. Because your golden years are ahead.